What's up, everybody? Just want to tell you how you can come support the show. Uh, go to truezilla.org forward slash donate for a value for value donations. There's like Cash App, Bitcoin, all that good stuff. Um, if you want to get a nice, awesome Truezilla t-shirt, Ed's got one here, World Economic Forum. You'll own nothing, you'll be happy. I got one here. Uh, ever wonder if you would have complied in 1930s Germany with a picture of a mask? Now you know. So I feel like these are both very appropriate for today's guest, Whitney yeah, Webb. Certainly. You guys like this? All right, you saw it, you saw it correct in the title, Whitney Webb. Oh my God, crazy, yeah. crazy. So uh, also got to shout out our sponsors, TruthTRS.com. I shouldn't say that. But I have to shout out our sponsors. I, it's an honor to shout out our sponsors, dude. TruthTRS.com. Uh, Advanced TRS is such an amazing product, dude. Yes. If, you, if you're yes. struggling with any sort of like. You know, eczema, if you got like, like just feeling kind of just, ugh. Any autoimmune stuff. Yeah, autoimmune yeah. stuff, like, like give it a shot. Um, you can pretty much eliminate that stuff in a very rapid way. Like, it's just crazy. Like, I've, I've been on it for like, I'm still in my first bottles. So that means I'm still in my first 30 days, but I'm just like, I'm feeling sharp, dude. I'm feeling on it, man. I'm ready to eviscerate this new world order, man. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So, there you go. Get, 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 uh, Get as bolded as you can to fight the new world order with truthtrs.com. There you I go. To go so, take my sprays this morning. There you I, go. You just yeah, don't forget me. to take your sprays, Ed. Yeah. I, anyway. I will. So uh, also we got Cody's Crystals. Cody. Yeah, Cody. Uh, at Cody's underscores crystals uh, uh, at Instagram. Go check him out. He's got all kinds of cool stuff. He does amazing live streams. Dude, he was... He sent me a video. Uh, he was on his porch, like polishing rocks, listening to some uh, music that we're all familiar with. It was pretty cool. Like it was really good. Like he was listening to, like the Chuzilla theme song, like polishing yeah, rocks yeah, on the porch. Yeah. He sent me that video. I was like, yeah, that's so cool, Cody. So right on, you guys. Check out Cody's underscore crystals on Instagram. So um, yes. Also, we got to shout out locally here. Um, Smiles in schools. Smiles in schools is an organization that's fighting the local school boards, trying to eliminate mask mandates, and just uh, you know put just just doing what we encourage all just the time. Organizing right? parents to organizing to, parents. to to make your voice heard to to these yep. school boards and yep. um and to just see if we can move the needle on that. Yep. So so you can find them on Instagram at Smiles in Schools, and then also if you want more information, send them an email at uh, Smiles in Schools Lane County at gmail.com. Yep. So um, I think is that it. Anything else? It's a great interview. Awesome. Enjoy it. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Truthzilla. I am Megan sitting here with Scott and Ed. Hello. Our guest today is a force to be reckoned with. Whitney Webb is arguably the leading independent journalist of our time. Her fearless research has upset the establishment in ways it has brought about censorship from every angle. From Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell to the World Economic Forum and the transhumanist agenda, no one does a better job of uncovering the goods and sourcing everything that they claim. Whitney Webb, thank you and welcome to the show. Uh, hi. Wow. That was a very humbling inter introduction. You made me sound really fancy. Thanks. Oh, we, we think you're very fancy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just, just, just a little bit. Like you've heard all this claims about, you know, the disinformation dozen, right? You know, I feel like, I feel like the, the truth bomb trio. Like I look up to like you, James Corbett, Ryan Christian, last American yeah, Vagabond. Totally. It's like you guys have reinvigorated like journalism, like, or you're, you're, yeah. you, you show them what journalism oh, should be. And then when I, when I look, read like, you know, a mainstream media article. I'm like, where's all the links? Where's all the sources? What is going on here? Like my brain can't compute. Oh, it's like, it's just well, embarrassing. They don't do that though. They don't They're do just that. like government officials say, and yes. then they like just 
it's just you know? embarrassing and it's There's so embarrassing and it's just like i feel like you guys are just such an, a great source like like to these people that i'm talking to that are just so far removed for, and they have no idea what's going on i'm like well here check this out you know you're one of the people that i, I send people to you know and like and i feel yeah. like like you're just uh you're a shining light in this whole movement that we're trying to get the truth out there and it's just oh, like thanks. man you know so i don't know there's so much to get into and 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 for me uh the thing that, that, that just fascinates me is just like where we're headed with this thing, where we're headed with this thing. And I feel like nobody's done a better job of just uncovering just, you know, the transhumanist element of it and the eugenics piece of it too. You know, it's so fascinating to see when we look back to like, even just like, you know, 1930s Germany, you know, it's the same kind of progression that we're seeing today. You know, it's just so, and even some of the same characters like IBM, IBM in both, both situations are involved in like human identification, you know, uh, so so crazy and then uh and then just the world economic forum is so open about it and and people you know that's one of the things too i like to say to people it's like um they they, they maybe have a huge disconnect from this and you're like and i will say hey what about the world economic forum the great reset have you guys heard of that well no what's that it's a great place to start you know so i don't know what do you think yeah uh well so i think you know some people now because of like how mainstream media has taken the great reset they're like oh it's just they try and explain it away and be like there's nothing bad there they're just saying that we should take this opportunity to make a better world and that's it you know um like you have people like at the intercept like naomi klein for example uh also coming out with sort of like a half-assed version of that calling the great reset a conspiracy smoothie um and uh, as she said and said, well, no, there's nothing really nefarious here. And actually some of the things I suggest we should do and all of this stuff. So, yeah, but she doesn't mention that, like, you know, her boss at The Intercept is Pierre Omidyard, the totally insane owner of PayPal, eBay billionaire guy, and that his top people at the Omidyard network are all part of the World Economic Forum. Maybe that's a conflict of interest for Naomi that she declines to mention. Um, but, you know, so like basically they're just trying to be like, well, the World Economic Forum doesn't mean anything, you know, they don't really have any real power. They're just saying shit. And, you know, I don't really agree with that. And if you look at their history and who goes to these meetings, uh, you know, it's like the same sort of thing where people have tried to before be like, well, Bilderberg doesn't matter. But I mean, what do you think is going to happen when the most powerful people in the world from the public and the private sector get together behind closed doors and they talk about how can we indefinitely maintain the status quo uh, indefinitely maintain increasing inequality to benefit us and you know keep the plebs under control because eventually these people know that at some point people are going to ask for bigger pieces of the pie right and so we saw that in 2019 protests all over the world literally all over you know you had like the yellow vest movement in france you had protests in, in throughout uh, various countries in Asia. You had uh, a huge, the biggest protest really ever against neoliberalism in Chile uh, for the first time. And uh, I don't really even know how long, um, definitely since the, the you know, um, the coup in 73 or whatever over there, just really massive stuff. And this was like not an isolated thing. It should, it was very obvious the, to the elite, I think that people were starting to demand some sort of change and of course, COVID comes in and takes all of that away, essentially, right? And so sort of redirects that uh, to something else. And so what we're seeing happen under the guise of combating COVID-19 is the introduction of a system of authoritarian control that's intended from the perspective of the elite to prevent where those movements in 2019 would have tried to have gone if it hadn't been for this uh, public health crisis, right? <clears throat> 
So, you know, it does matter that people like the World Economic Forum um, and uh, Bilderberg and some of these other think tanks that, that work like this or nonprofits, organizations, however they define themselves, you're having the most powerful people in the public and private sector openly collude behind closed doors to figure out how to maintain their edge uh, on the system and keep it from being challenged essentially. Um, and so the World Economic Forum is very obviously that, I think. And, you know, if you read like Klaus Schwab's book and stuff and you see who uh, is on the board of the World Economic Forum and he's like, uh, you know, uh, helping to drive this, you have like people like Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, you have like Mark Carney at the tippy top of, of central bankers uh, globally and now a UN envoy for climate change. Uh, you have Al Gore, you have a lot of very, um, you know, big name heavy hitters, Larry Fink of BlackRock that literally like owns America and stuff at this point, you know, um, and these aren't exactly like the kind of people who get together behind closed doors and are like, let's just have a few beers together in Switzerland. <laughs> like that's not what happens. Okay. And if you have, but like most people, don't bother to watch like their meetings, their videos, what they say. And so that's why like, you know, I, I've tried to in recent interviews, really direct people's attention to some of those speeches, because no one watches it because like, yeah, it is really fucking boring, totally, yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. yeah. at the end of the day, but some of them you like, you see a couple of them, and you're like, holy crap. Uh, you know, and I think one of the big ones, like that for me, that was like a big holy crap moment was this uh, this guy, you all know, a Harari talking to the World Economic Forum about like how to basically usher in the era of digital dictatorships and that it's going to be about wearables and a lot of stuff that's openly being talked about being rolled out or being developed right now, specifically in, in the West. And what this means from the perspective of the World Economic Forum, the mass adoption of that, and then the forces driving that are all part of the World Economic Forum, like Silicon Valley for example, and then they get there and they meet with governments and, you know, I mean, I don't know, public private partnership is just like code for fascism, essentially, and they want to they openly want to remake the economic system and you don't just have the World Economic Forum doing that you have various movements with a lot of overlapping figures in the elite doing that like this Council for Inclusive Capitalism uh, with Lynn Forrester to Rothschild, uh, the heads of v uh, MasterCard and Visa, you have Mark Carney again, World Economic Forum, you have Mark Benioff, World Economic Forum CEO of Salesforce, and a lot of these uh, these guys there trying to remake, you know, the economic system into stakeholder capitalism, uh, which is essentially just fascism controlled by the central banks. <laughs> it's, you know, it's fun. So, you know, all the people that want to dismiss the stuff, you have to. I, I, I don't really uh, buy that. I think it's a way to write off what is very obviously in the interests of the elites and what has been happening. A lot of concerns about the Great Reset that. You know, when they first like announced it uh, last year, I think definitely have uh, been proven right. But, you know, some people disagree with that. But, you know, I think it's something that should be debated, not just smeared and dismissed. Absolutely. And then the debate just can't even happen at this point. Like if we're questioning things like you, your voice gets silenced. And that's the only way that this whole agenda has been able to get as far as it's gotten is because anybody that has an opposing view or, or challenges, whatever narrative it is, they get, they get disappeared, you know, deplatformed, yeah. like, like, like criminalized. And now it's become like a terrorist, a terroristic act to question these things. And it seems like, 
you know, domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, that's just the narrative we're getting driven into our heads here in the United States is that people who, you know, who may be perceived as a certain political affiliation or anything, or even people like, okay, so here's a great example. So, like, we're really involved in the Freedom Cells movement. Uh, you know, we started our own little Freedom Cell here in our community, and we've got a big festival coming up next weekend. And it's super cool that we put together, and it's like, yeah, it's exciting stuff, you know, and it's like this big, uh, like, uh, collective of, you know, hippies and like libertarians with like 3d printed shotguns you know what i mean like it's like this this, con this this like confluence of all these people but they're all just like free-thinking individuals who see through the bullshit and and are tr trying to come together and build community you know and and, and yeah. that mm -hmm. in and of itself is being painted like anybody that's outside of their little bubble with the masks and the vaccines are are perceived as like domestic terrorists and i look around it's just nothing but love and positivity and like we're trying to grow and and build together it's like it's fascinating and that is what's being demonized you know and it seems like where we're at right now, at least here in the United States, and it sounds like, you know, from what I can gather, at least in American media all around the world, and I'd love to hear what your perception is in, in the UK, but like, it feels like it's like the chessboard is set for like a checkmate move, you know, and all of these things have been leading up to just like, just pure boot on the neck type of oppression, but yeah. it's going to be brought about through some sort of big conflagration, some big event, you know what I mean? And I don't know. Cyber pandemic? But I, I you know, I'm leading like cyber pandemic, uh, another biological attack. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like we're like right on the precipice of something major. You know? Yeah, well, they've seeded the narrative for a couple of things. I think in the U.S. specifically, the U.S. risks some sort of domestic terror, 9-11 redux, some sort of like OKC, uh, Oklahoma City bombing type event, mainly because if you look at what preceded 9-11, uh, the bill to enter, to create what became the Department of Homeland Security, it had a different name at the time, the National Homeland Security Agency, uh, that was introduced in the beginning uh, of 2001, well before 9-11, the Patriot Act was well, you know, written well before 9-11, and when all that stuff was like out there, there was a lot of debate in Congress, like, why do we need this? And people were like, why do we need a whole new agency for Homeland Security? I don't get it. You know, and then 9-11 happens and all those questions go away and people are like, we demand solutions. And then it just gets rushed through and then, you know, bam. And I think for the domestic terror uh, strategy that was put out and a lot of that infrastructure that they talk about being set up in that, in order for them to take that as far as they say they're going to take it, there has to be some sort of event that manufacturers consent for that on a mass scale domestically and gets people in line and gets enough people to do what they've already said they want people to do to write out their neighbors, their friends and their family that they think are naughty, right? And like Facebook has already set this up and is you know, openly being part of this. But if you are familiar with my work about the origins of Facebook, you will know that they have had ties to the national security state since uh, its beginning. And it was really designed to be this essentially at the end of the day. Um, so I think that's something that the US uh, has a unique risk of just because of that domestic terror uh, push happening in that particular way nationally that isn't necessarily happening in other countries right now in that same uh, fashion, right? So obviously the whole like, cyber pandemic thing is is obviously happening to a degree but the question is will there be one big one or will it be the way a lot of these documents from like um some of these groups i wrote about recently related to this world economic forum partnership against cybercrime they predict that it will just be um like a cascade, cascading cyber attack events that grow in frequency and severity over time, not necessarily a big one, just becomes like a constant bam, 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 bam thing, not necessarily one big thing. But I mean, it could be that we don't really uh, know. So, you know, it really depends what they think 
uh, is needed, uh, how far they have to push things for uh, them to get the uh, calls for the solution they want to implement for the problem reaction solution setup they tend to use, right? And so the solution they want is for people to acquiesce to and go along with global regulation of the internet, something that they tried to do in the Obama administration in the US, the driver's license for internet access. You have to have a government issued ID linked to your government, to your internet activity so they can you know, match every site you visit, everything you do online to an ID and know exactly what you're doing and you know, link it all up. And the EU uh, tried to do that previously too and their vaccine passport bio, metric identity thing they introduced a couple months ago in the EU is an obvious segue to that. So they just need the right thing. So maybe if enough of these outages happen together and are claimed to be as you know disruptive enough, they'll, you know, maybe they think they'll be able to do it. And then if that doesn't work, then they'll just be like, well, uh, I guess we do need a big one, right? And then that is probably what will take place in, in that event. But the other thing that I think is um, <clears throat> being set up, and I honestly think it's probably the most dangerous, um, on, a, on a global scale, as I've talked about this a couple times. So before the, the Davos, the World Economic Forum annual meeting, which was all virtual, uh, but took place this year, they have like agenda week where they talk about their agenda. And so Klaus Schwab is like the first speech, right? And he's like, basically, this is what's gonna happen over the course of 2021, right? And this was back in January before a lot of stuff that he said was obvious, but so far some of it obviously has been quite obvious. One is that, um, you know, this is the year that will move beyond uh, over the course of the year, the fear of COVID-19 as it played out last year on a global scale. And this will morph into a fear about climate change by the end of the year uh, and basically implies there'll be some sort of event blamed on climate change, whatever that looks like. Um, and that there was going to be this basically a, uh, a shift from COVID to climate change in a couple months after that you have Bill Gates who you know throughout the whole COVID thing was going on his media tour about pandemics and the future pandemics and pandemic two and the final solution and all the stuff that he said when he was making his media appearances he starts making media appearances about climate change has a new book out on climate change and starts changing uh, the narrative obviously they've retired him a little bit because you know the the Epstein stuff came came back up again for him and the divorce and all this stuff um but then you had stuff like you know I'm not necessarily a big fan of Project Veritas because they have a lot of ties to the Blackwater guy, uh, but they did get that CNN technical director on video saying, oh yeah, we're shifting to climate change, essentially saying like they'd gotten this memo to sort of shift the fear porn from COVID uh, to climate as well. And that was around the same time. And so, you know, a lot of these uh, extreme weather events we're seeing talking about climate change, but at the same time, they're talking about food shortages. Uh, all over the world. If you're familiar with like Christian, Christian Westbrook, Ice Age Farmers work, uh, that's very obvious what's happening there. And in the case of the UK, it, it's gonna be really hard to blame it on climate change because it's basically, they're creating it through labor shortages and through business, business decisions and policy decisions. So it's, but, but it's obviously going to happen at some point at the end of the year. And they basically made the case that it's inevitable. So it looks like this climate change events that will freak everyone out at the end of the year is going to be some sort of a, a supply chain famine thing. And because a lot of the cyber attacks up until this point have been supply chain disruption attacks attacking third parties that were called essentially supply chain attacks like solar winds has been called that. Uh, the last one that took place like, recently that was called uh, the company was like Kaisa um, or something was also like this third party supply chain 
um, company, and then some of the previous ones, right, a colonial pipeline disruption and, and hydrocarbons and oil, um, and then which obviously, you know, involves like, okay, trucks taking foods from, you know, farm to supermarket and what have you can be disrupted by that. You have a, another cyber attack targeting the food system with JBS, like the, the meat uh, producer and stuff like that. So what happens if you have a combination, perhaps, uh, of the cyber pandemic targeting um, <clears throat> uh, food supply, food supply chains, at the same time that you have, you know, some sort of famine-induced situation from various things uh, that's blamed on climate change as well, and they sort of coalesce together. I think, you know, if they really want to try and get people in, 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 on board with the agenda, even reluctantly, uh, they'll do it by, you know, uh, going with the Henry Kissinger quote, who, of course, we all know Henry Kissinger, um, his mindset is very much the mindset of this crowd uh, driving this, but he's uh, relatively famous for, well, for several quotes. Uh, but one of the quotes is, you know, if you control the food, you control the people, right? So what better way to drive people into the arms of, of government um, if they're starving? And, you know, it's like, well, um, I already wrote about last year how a lot of these policy documents with like the vaccine passport and combating vaccine hesitancy um, and a vaccine update was to link state benefits, including like SNAP benefits for food, food stamps uh, to your vaccine status, right? Or like if you want food assistance from the government, you have to have uh, your digital wallet with uh, the Fed coin, the digital dollar on it, because they've already said future stimulus is gonna be paid out in that once it's available, right? And that's to be set up with the vaccine passport and the biometric ID because the vaccine passport infrastructure as it's been set up is set up, I read about this in January, it's set up to be the vaccine passport, but also with infrastructure in place to include a digital wallet, your financial activity essentially, and a biometric identity thing, which ties in with the whole internet access thing. So this is essentially, what they're going to try and drive people into, uh, according to Klaus Schwab, by the end of the year. But, you know, the timeline may change because it may take them longer. Things may not go as planned. There may be more resistance. People that they're counting on to uh, help orchestrate this shit may be like, eh, I don't really want to be a part of this or some other thing may, you know, obviously things can happen between then and now. But basically how he announced it, it was some sort of calamity uh, by year's end. Um, I don't know. And then in the U.S., they've been talking about this bioterror thing a lot. And Biden was like, dark winter, dark winter, dark winter all the time, you know. And, and you have a lot of talk about that. Uh, well, last year, the pandemic, too, and all of this stuff. Um, but really, the, I think the, at the end of the day, the point is if their existing plans don't work and they fail and people are too resilient or able to like resist this you know, especially if it's like a famine type situation, if people are able to like produce their own food and, and resist that and not be forced into compliance because uh, they're starving. I mean, they'll throw the kitchen sink at us really. And that's why I think they've already like seeded the narrative of even aliens and all this other stuff. I mean, if things don't go the way they want, they'll really just uh, throw everything they can think of at us. Yeah, absolutely. It almost feels like they're juggling too many things. So at one time, <laughs> yeah. it's like you said, you know, if one thing doesn't fail, they'll they have plan B's for everything. I'm sure, but I mean, I yeah. feel like we're just mm -hmm. we're just trying to attack the vaccine narrative. <laughs> like yeah. most of the time, you know, like because I feel like that's going to be coming door to door here pretty soon. You know, I I feel like that could drive some other things though. With the the door to door, that's going to obviously cause some disputes, which could could uh, 
be blamed on yeah. domestic terrorism. Exactly. Oh, they exactly. shot the door to door guy. Yeah. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. I think that's by design. To yep. be yeah. Use him as bait. Definitely use him as bait. I think yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that you can look at, like <laughs> I, all I, of... that would be nice to tell the volunteers going door to door that you're bait. You're literally Yeah. You're we're baiting these domestic terrorists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? What they, you know, back to the uh, you know the Club of Rome document talking about climate change in the sense that this is the enemy of humanity is humanity itself, right? It's like this faceless entity, right? And all these, all of these narratives have the same kind of element to that. You know, we have the cyber crime, like it's these faceless, faceless yeah. criminals. We don't the know invisible what's actually, the invisible enemy. The invisible enemy. The terror all, had that too. It's yeah. all mm-hmm. the invisible enemy. You know, it's like the cyber crime, uh, climate change, the invisible enemy. Uh, you know, viruses. It's all the invisible enemy. So it's just like the perfect out for them to just co- completely avoid any sort of uh, accountability on any of it. You know, and there's never going to be an end. That's the thing. It's like people. If you it's knew- built into it yeah. though, because if it's an invisible enemy, it means regular people can't know it, they can't see it, and they can't understand it. Ah. They're just told it exists. So they have to trust the people telling them it exists, how to solve it and when it will go away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of how the war on terror worked. You know, mm-hmm. we just, okay, there's terrorists and we saw this event and so we're scared and we're going to believe you about who the terrorists are, what we have to do to stop them and we will trust you to tell us when things are safe, right? So it puts all the power into them to set the narrative about everything essentially yeah. and that's not just for the war on terror that's for the other things you mentioned as well anytime you have an invisible enemy it's because it, it's a concentration of uh uh i guess knowledge about the invisible enemy in the hands of people who claim it exists in the mm-hmm. first place yeah what happened to terrorism by the way do they, do they, they still domestic they still we're sitting at this table it's just domestic. <laughs> we're sitting oh, right yeah. here oh yeah that's right that's right oh that's totally do you remember we're labeled like, QAnon? come on like well see that's the thing is like that was the claim is that they hate our freedom but now that we don't have any freedom maybe they don't hate us anymore right so I think there you they go. Still hate us. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go i don't know uh well now it doesn't work right because like al-qaeda that was the boogeyman initially for the war on terror the u.s has been supporting in syria mm-hmm. supporting in yemen mm-hmm. it kind of falls apart after a while and people are like why are you supporting them and they're like oh yeah well they may have attacked us on 9-11 but you know if you look back in the history we actually made them in the 70s and 80s with operation yeah. cyclone yep you know yep. so they've always been like a a proxy for the U.S. and uh, uh, that's why it wasn't really that hard for them to blame them. I think uh, for 9/11 so quickly because it's like, well, uh, what are they going to say? No, I mean we like made them and fund them and own them essentially. So yeah, mm. yeah, crazy, crazy. So anyway, all right, I want to steer it back to the whole transhumanist thing. That's I feel like that's that's where the meat and potatoes of this stuff is at. And I feel like I know you've been on a lot of shows lately. I know you've been talking about it a lot, but I really want to highlight, really point people to our listeners. If you have not checked out her article on the welcome trust, like this whole thing is just insane. And maybe you can just give us a summary overview with the time that we have. Uh, you know, what, what, what are we looking at here in terms of that? Like, and in terms of like the thing that sh- just shocks me the most is just like how they're coming for the kids. Again, yeah. they're coming yeah. for the kids in this whole transhumanist agenda. It's just insane. Yeah. Uh, on that end, that's why I also think um, I have a new contributor to my site who uh, is working on some lengthy stuff. So it takes some time to come out. But he had one article, uh, John Klesek, and he writes about like ed tech, like educational tech and this effort to remake education to basically be like a transhumanist enterprise uh, in a sense. And also um, 
industries that that tend to uh most of their audience tend to be like either kids or teenagers or whatever like video games or whatever obviously there's adult gamers right but in terms of like segments of age groups you have more people playing video games when they're young than than when they're older necessarily yeah just in general right and yeah. so you know uh, the, the guy that uh used to be a microsoft executive but uh is the ceo of valve uh entertainment which is involved they like well i just know them because they like made the half-life series or whatever but they're like involved with a lot of stuff like uh well if, i guess no one plays counter-strike anymore either sorry i guess my knowledge is kind of dated but anyway they like make video games that people still play apparently and anyway the ceo is saying the future of this is brain machine interfaces that's the future of video gaming and if you're in the video game industry and you're not building games for brain machine interfaces you're gonna be irrelevant by like 2023 and stuff right and so they're trying to do it the same way with education, even early uh, childhood education. They're attempting to just make it like all just tech focused. And obviously COVID is like a segue for that. It's Zoom school and then Zoom school school becomes progressively more invasive and more based in virtual reality and augmented reality and whatever over time. Right. Um, so that's, you know, a different angle. So anyway, my article. Um, <clears throat> Just sort of wanted to explain some of those other angles in addition to this one. Um, so it, the article wasn't expressly about the Welcome Trust. It's about a new project of the Welcome Trust called Welcome Leap. The first time I wrote about the Welcome Trust was in the article that got me kicked off of Patreon on the Forever Naughty list. Uh, that was about the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine because the people who developed that uh, used to work at or still work for uh, the Welcome Trust, uh, which is a very controversial organization as it uh, well, well, it is if you bother to look into it, <laughs> you know, and don't just take their word for it about what they do and you look at what they actually do and their controversies and their lawsuits um, and how people in Africa have sued them for stealing their DNA and commercializing it and doing a bunch of stuff. So obviously they're like, not the best dudes. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically the Welcome Trust, I, I describe to people because it's not well known, especially in the US, right? A little better known in the UK because it's based in the UK. Uh, but in terms of influence over like medical research and healthcare and all of this stuff, it's like the UK equivalent of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but it's actually much older. Uh, its origins go back to like the late 30s. Um, and it, it's called the Welcome Trust, Welcome with two L's, because it was created out of the estate and will of Henry Welcome, whose company Burroughs Welcome is now GlaxoSmithKline. After a series of mergers, Burroughs Welcome uh, was dropped from the name uh, by the time that they merged with Glaxo in 1995. And, uh, you know, it's now GlaxoSmithKline today. So there, now there's less association uh, visible to the public between Welcome Trust and GlaxoSmithKline, but in the past, it wasn't necessarily that way, right? And so Henry Welcome, though, in creating the Welcome Trust basically set up the same sort of model for philanthropy that uh, Bill Gates and the Clinton Foundation and actually the whole like Epstein crowd in terms of their philanthropic foundations really got into in the early 2000s, which is when you have Gates make his foundation, the Clinton Foundation, Jeffrey Epstein makes the Jeffrey Epstein BI Foundation and all of these guys, uh, you know, in, in that sphere do it. Though obviously like Wexner and those people had foundations before, but like the specific for-profit uh, model of philanthropy that's disguised as not being pro for profit. Uh, Henry Welcome made this up <laughs> in like 1936. And so basically the way he did it in the Welcome Trust is to create the Welcome Trust and the Welcome Foundations 
which are essentially, you know, merged and, and coordinate and do everything together. But the Welcome Trust is the registered charity and Welcome Foundations are for-profit businesses, but it's called foundation, right? And so it's basically a, a business disguised as a charity. And so everything they do, you know, using the name Welcome Trust is, uh, is treated as philanthropic and charitable and not as, uh, you know, a for-profit uh, enterprise, right? So um they got uh, they went through a lot of changes over the years but they got um really big and influential starting in the 80s um and by the 90s uk newspapers were saying uh their uh role in directing medical research not just in the uk and globally would shape the future of the human race even back then uh because uh today and i think back then as well they were the richest uh, medical research focused charity in the world. Um, so basically deciding what gets funded and what doesn't, uh, not unlike the Gates Foundation would also do um, uh, years later. So um, basically the Welcome Trust's new initiative uh, that has come out of COVID is called Welcome Leap. And it was planned back in 2018, 2017. Uh, but when they launched it, they said, we need Welcome Leap because COVID-19 was like the launching of Sputnik for the space age. COVID-19 is thus the impetus for a new global health age, right? They say, um, but of course, if you look at their programs, and the people they, they chose to run this shit, uh, former directors of DARPA who then go and make DARPA equivalents for Google and, and Facebook and like brain machine interfaces and smart clothing and like all this stuff, um, you know, for, and they openly say then it wasn't for healthcare applications. Now they're reframing that research as healthcare essentially. And Welcome Leap frames itself as being a global health DARPA. And this is very interesting because we know that uh, first under Trump and now under Biden, it's actually gonna be launched. There were efforts to create a health DARPA uh, within the US um, and it's called HARPA. Um, originally it was gonna be used to be like a pre-crime program uh, under Trump to stop mass shootings before they, they can happen. Uh, and it was framed, that initial program was framed as mental health. Now Biden is justifying it as uh, it, this will cure cancer. Uh, and, you know, the guy he's putting charge of it uh, is Eric Lander, his top science advisor who was funded by Epstein and uh, loves crazy eugenicists who think African uh, people of African descent are genetically inferior. Ah, normal guy, normal guy to put in charge. Uh, those comments did come up, by the way, when Eric Lander was nominated, but they were like, well, uh, we'll just put, uh, we'll just make the person right under him an African-American woman and it's fine. And, you know, oh, I did politics, I guess uh, that's the logic of that, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, uh, there's been this push to create HARPA to push through the same sort of uh, uh, technology and frame it as healthcare. In the U.S. DARPA, the masterminds of this are Bob Wright, who is the former head of NBC Universal, um, who is actually close friends, personal friends with Trump, but also like just a member of the elite, right? And the guy he works with, who's designing and uh, shaping HARPA, is Jeffrey Ling, the former head of DARPA's Biological Technologies Office. So now you have Welcome Leap. Um, being that, but on a global scale, also with former high-ranking DARPA people, uh, basically calling the shots. So now DARPA has like, uh, is going to a whole nother level because previously, you know, DARPA is, is just like the research wing of the Pentagon. So those things tend to stay in the military. And then some of those technologies do get commercialized, uh, later on like GPS, 
Um, uh, the internet supposedly came from DARPA, but the story there's a little more complicated because uh, there was ARPANET and ARPANET was really controversial and not at all uh, what the internet is today, though there, is, there are obviously a lot of similarities. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, basically uh, Welcome Leap uh, does target children and specifically one of its programs. When I wrote that article, they had four programs. I believe now they have five um, and I haven't had time to look at the fifth one, but I bet it's fucking horrible. Um, <laughs> just uh, given how, how the other ones are, you know? Um, so um, basically there's uh, two, uh, well, I'll just explain the kid one since you asked about that in the interest of time. Um, so that particular program is called the first 1000 days. Um, and it has three different parts to it, but in gen, but but they say explicitly uh, the the test subjects uh, for it are babies from as young as three months up to toddlers of three years of age. That's the specific age range they're looking to work with in this particular program. So what they want to do first is use a variety of I would argue it's invasive technologies. Some people may not argue that, uh, but it's really up to you um, because it's not being injected, you know, stuff isn't being injected into babies, but babies have to wear wearables, uh, have 24-7 uh, eye tracking technology on them, be surveilled 24-7 in their rooms uh, by like a Google Nest or cameras and stuff like this. Um, and then, you know, a wearable that can um, uh, record everything they, they, they say their movements, whatever, and then some sort of thing, uh, some sort of other wearable that Clint professes to be able to map their uh, brains, right? So they want potentially thousands, uh, I don't know exactly what they aim for, I forget, um, in this initial stage, but they want enough um, access to that data to create millions upon millions upon millions of data points um, to create what they call an in silico uh, model of the human brain, right? And in silico, right? It's not like in vivo, which is like living, right? It's like artificial. So it's an artificial neural network, a form of artificial intelligence that is basically a model for the developing human brain from three months to three years. And presumably if they are able to acquire that, they can have it develop further from three years to four years to five years up to adulthood and achieve what they, uh, you know, call the singularity. And they haven't been able to achieve up to this point, which is sort of like the AI God type thing that's that like takes over everything that a lot of these futurist transhumanist crazy people essentially like worship. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of these control systems that they want to implement down the line are sort of predicated on the singularity coming into existence and it hasn't yet. And I would argue that, you know, if you're trying to have the most uh, insanely uh, unconscious and uh, arrogant and like sociopathic people in the world try and replicate human consciousness, it's not going to go well. <laughs> um, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, but it obviously hasn't gone well for them before, but they think if they get access to enough uh, kids, uh, they'll be able to replicate something that looks like that. And so those are the first two parts. The third part is by the year 2030 with 80% of the world's kids in this age range to intervene and shape their developing mm -hmm. brains to match the artificial intelligence model, uh, to basically yeah. homogenize uh, the brains of all of these uh, babies essentially. Uh, to be, uh, you know, the same what they determine these people at the Welcome Trust uh, determine is a good brain, right? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously this has huge implications because if they screw that up, right, I mean, what does that mean <laughs> for like the future generations? Um, but on a different sense, you know, they these will. people obviously just want like automatons and worker drones. This was like yeah. the dream of the Rockefellers in the early 20th century to have like automaton robots 
that did the work at their factories and stuff instead of having to deal with the problems of like actual people that uh, have to sleep and eat and have families and want a, a decent standard of living instead of just being slaves, right? And this is what you could argue have been a problem of the uh, global elite for centuries and centuries and centuries, going back to feudalism, you know, and, and, and stuff like that, and arguably even farther back, you know, the same issue of how do we uh, get to stay on the top um, and, and be the elite and keep the people below us that maintain uh, our standard of living in line, you know, um, and that's essentially, I would argue, where this uh, leads, but it's very uh, predatory in the sense that it's uh, going after very vulnerable children and, yeah. or, or, you know, children that can't consent yeah. um, and are obviously in the hands of these people vulnerable because they don't, they're babies, dude. Um, so I think the only reason they think they can get away with this is because of what's happened over the course of the past year and a half with how far so many parents have let this stuff happen in relation to their kids while they're making yeah. their kids wear a mask every day or even going so far as to have like infants and toddlers participate in experimental vaccine trials, um, you know, and things like that, you know, having seen how that has gone for them, they're like, yeah, well, uh, we can get a lot of kids, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. Oh, so um, gross, man. Yeah, it's so insane. Like, like that's, that's, that's just one. Yeah, yeah. of their programs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got some more for yeah. us. I've heard you talk about that. You got some more for us. Uh, yeah. So they basically they have uh, uh three other ones uh, and apparently a new fourth one that I haven't looked at, so I can't comment on that. Okay, but um, uh, I'll try and summarize summarize the other ones uh, more quickly. They have one program that's called Hope. That's like human organ and physiology engineering, something like that. Uh, where they basically uh, can uh, grow organs um, and human uh, sort of like organic synthetic hybrid organs. And they claim it's for like organ replacement and stuff. It's basically a way to grow a human body. Um, and then, you know, they want this artificial brain, right? They want to develop with that other program. So what's really stopping them from like growing people and putting the robot brain in it or something like that, you know? Well, I mean, that's how these people... <laughs> like think and you know this stuff was like you know among other technologies that these people have either um produced or attempted to research so that have been like seated in things like star trek i mean you have uh people uh like in deep space nine they're like wow this is so nerdy of me sorry but like it's there's right. like the jim hadar people who are like you know there's like this super intelligent race that want to take over the world and they build like an enforcer class like soldiers and they like grow them essentially in this way. They like engineer the body and they like control the brain and they're genetically engineered to not be able to question authority and just work for these people and stuff. And like, oh my God, dude, the elite would Ugh. love that shit. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, like that's the best kind of enforcer class <laughs> for them uh, that doesn't uh, sympathize with the people they're, you know, keeping down and the, you know, um, <clears throat> so, you know, so, well, some people speculated that, that I've talked to you in some of these interviews, that maybe that's what that's for. Um, like I was talking to Daniel Estelin the other day and he was basically positing it would be that, but they frame it for different reasons. They say it could be for organ transplantation and maybe that's fine. Uh, but this thing about like human synthetic uh, hybrid organs is like very cyborgy, right? And you also have the US military, for example, openly saying uh, that by 2050, um, 
they they want like cyborg soldiers essentially um and the, the transhumanist stuff in the u.s military is going really fast really quickly um if you're in the service i'd encourage you to look into the u.s futures command um that is driving a lot of this that's specifically in the army but they've basically created a human augmentation institute in natwick massachusetts to test out transhumanist um technology on soldiers including like brain chips and stuff to see how that goes um and then we have like the ai autonomous weapons skynet shit uh, that they've been uh trying to they've had in, in their plans for several years um so yeah this is definitely stuff that's of interest to develop for whatever purpose but this is you know in the hands of welcome leap it's like who knows how they'll use it i mean you know you put darpa directors in charge of the thing so you know i think some of this military uh u.s military angle is kind of relevant um uh let's see another program is uh delta tissue um and if i i, I don't know if i um hmm, i'm gonna have to see if i can find the part of my brain that, <laughs> that has information uh on that program stored away um but they sort of frame it as like a genetic engineering gene editing thing from what I remember. Um, and it's worth pointing out that the lady who they put in charge of this, Regina Dugan, the former DARPA director, is the person who greenlighted DARPA's funding of both the Moderna and Pfizer mRNA technology that is now in their COVID-19 vaccines. Um, so this was sort of a, if I remember correctly, was a program about advancing um, those types of technologies. Um, as a way, but, but in a predictive sense. So like predicting, developing um, uh, like wearables and different tools to predict if you'll get sick before you get sick and then like gene therapies to fix the problem before it happens. But then you have to trust them that you're going to develop this thing in the first place. It could easily just be a segue to uh, get you to consent to having some sort of stuff done to you saying, well, we're gonna tell you that, you know, if you don't do anything, if you don't take action now, next month, you'll be super deadly ill, right? And people be like, oh no, I don't wanna be super deathly ill. So I'll let you do whatever you want to me to save my life. But you know, that you have to put a lot of trust in the person telling you that, that that's actually how it is. And a lot, but this is like an ambition of DARPA specifically for a long time, predicting uh, symptoms before it happens. And there's been a lot of stuff in the pipeline about predicting COVID-19 uh, before symptoms can emerge or it can be detected in a test and stuff. Um, so there is sort of a, a, a long running setup uh, for that type of uh, issue. And then there's this whole, like what Ryan, uh, Christian and I talk uh, have talked about a lot, this sort of like pre-crime uh, angle for medicine, because they also plan to apply this to mental health. And if you look at HARPA in the U.S. specifically, um, it's pretty clear because uh, their initial flagship program is focused on scanning people's social media posts for early warning signs of neuropsychiatric violence and then uh, subscribing different interventions um, that should be taken, including court uh, mandated mental health treatment, uh, house arrest, and potentially detention. Um, if you're interested in that, that program is called Safe Homes. That's the abbreviation. And um, I'm pretty sure the first time I wrote about it uh, was a spinoff on my Epstein series from at Press News. Uh, that's about, I um, uh, can't remember the exact title, but it's something like uh, how uh, the CIA and Mossad and the Epstein network are uh, using mass shootings as justification to build an Orwellian nightmare, something of that effect was the title because it was a lot of this stuff around the time when those shootings were going on, like the El Paso uh, Walmart one, uh, the shooting at this garlic festival in Garland, Texas, and all of these things were popping up um, in pretty quick succession. 
right? And then they were like, oh, this is how we're going to respond to this. And at the same time, Bill Barr created this pre-crime program that's live now called DEEP, the Disruption and Early Engagement Program that has a lot of similarities, but it's not quite where HARPA wanted to go. But like I said earlier, Biden is introducing the same HARPA that was being pitched back then, but not talking about it in this obvious like domestic terror, you have wrong think context saying, oh, we'll develop a cure for cancer with this. Uh, trust us, even though it's the same people and the same organization um, looking to implement it, right? So um, the last program at Welcome Leap is, um, huh, I think it's called Multi-Channel Psych. And basically what it is, the, the one I described about toddlers, um, it's sort of like that for adults. Um, they want to develop technologies that like if you're depressed, how to intervene to make you not depressed, but it's not really about treating depression in the sense of, make, uh, of helping you feel uh, pleasure and like improving your quality of life. It's about um, targeting only the, acts, uh, the aspects of depression uh, that prevent you from being motivated to achieve a goal, like being a good worker bee. Um, essentially, right? <clears throat> and so they want to create, out of that program, they want to create a wearable uh, that will measure your emotional state, um, your effort levels, your motivation, um, all of this stuff. And just imagine if this is you know, Im uh, implemented in corporate America. And they're like, well, worker, uh, you know, 135, you don't seem very motivated today. And it, it seems like you don't really like your life. You should go uh, have whatever treatment, right? And actually they do have wearables that profess to be able to do some of this, like Amazon's, uh, forget what their uh, wearable is called. I think it's called Halo. They claim to be able to measure your emotional state. And they just bought this online pharmacy, Amazon did. So they'll be like, you sound sad. You sounded sad today from like 10 to 12. Do you like, you know, need antidepressants? We'll send them to you in the mail by drone. Like that's the future of Amazon, you know, uh, but they want to take this even farther and, you know, uh, effort motivation levels, specifically about treating parts of the brain that interfere with you wanting to complete tasks um, and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's pretty Orwellian. And they also want to develop a technology that if they determine, you know, the other wearable I just mentioned picks up like warning signs for them or whatever, uh, to some other sort of device that they want to develop to directly interrogate uh, the state of your brain at that moment. Um, but these are all ambitions that they want to complete within 10 years. Um, you know, but they're going for it. And these are people with a lot of money. Uh, these are people uh, that aren't just like small fry, crazy mad scientists, people they are mad scientists, you can easily argue. I would certainly argue that, but they're very well-funded and they're very influential. And through people like Regina Dugan, they have a lot of ties to the US national security state in Silicon Valley, um, which obviously stand to benefit from these technologies being widely implemented. And the Wellcome Trust, of course, um, a, a global force and healthcare uh, and influence um, a lot of medical schools, a lot of uh, medical research in, in institutes and, and whatnot. And the, and the Wellcome Trust itself has tons of these institutes that are part of the Wellcome family um, in, its, in its name, so. Hello, hello. Hello. Oh, too much truth. And there we I'm go. back. There Sorry we about go. that. There she is. Oh, no worries. No worries. Okay, perfect. Awesome. So I just did, I did, we definitely did want to cover real quick because I know you got a book coming out here soon um, on the Epstein. Well, soon, you know, next, early next year. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So it's kind of been pushed back a little bit. I was hoping maybe, do you have any, I know you've been doing so much work and, you know, the COVID, the transhumanist stuff, but have you, 
dipped your toe in any of the current like uh glenn maxwell situation at all is there anything any new updates that we need to know in that regard or okay so like i'm not closely yeah i'm not closely following the trial okay, the documents okay. that come out where they're like new document dump they're mostly stuff that's already been released or it's like heavily redacted and it's like generally useless um what's interesting to me is to see people like the big name mainstream media epstein journalists like julie brown right coming up and saying well actually it was ken Starr who was the one the mastermind behind the sweetheart deal essentially absolving alan dershowitz of any involvement which is pretty interesting because alan dershowitz was on that same defense team he was accused of the same crimes uh so participating in the criminal scheme itself directly by the most high profile victims in the case um has a has a lot of ties to the to that network um not outside of epstein you could argue uh easily because of his uh, the accusations against him that he was heavily blackmailed and compromised by epstein right um so obviously has an interest in doing that has a very cozy relationship with israel's government um among other things uh so why absolve him completely that seems very odd to me um but uh you know uh julie brown's book uh that you know this is being used to promote is being published by harper collins that's owned by uh rupert murdoch uh rupert murdoch was one of the people along with like trump uh and ace greenberg who originally hired epstein for his job at bear stearns and was close to him throughout his life um you know honoring roy Cohn at like some benign birth dinner and all of this stuff cozy with roy Cohn, who of course and was also like a sex blackmailer in that same uh network and like you know rupert murdoch is like a shady dude obviously so like you know um absolving alan dershowitz it's i don't know why julie's doing that i can speculate maybe it has to do with her publisher um but that's really silly to me to completely absolve uh dershowitz there um and then you have um vicky ward right who maria farmer and other epstein victims totally hate uh, but she's framed herself as like anti i was the first journalist to go after epstein blah 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 um but actually, you know, she's the one uh, after telling Maria Farmer she would keep her story safe about what she experienced at the hands of Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. She goes and tells uh, Maxwell that it was Maria who had reported them initially to the FBI instead of protecting her source and then directly putting her, her source in, in harm's way. I mean, come on, dude. I, I can't believe she has a career after that. Um, but, you know, mainstream media, hmm, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. they work in uh, not so mysterious ways, but uh, ways that are uh, often highly unethical. So uh that's why that's that way but she had she's promoting her recent podcast all about Ghislaine Maxwell who she has lots of conflicts of interest with anyway um and came out with the story like oh uh Maxwell ran into the arms of Bill Clinton to get away from her awful relationship with Jeffrey um which is like what into the arms of Bill Clinton the the guy who like we all know what he's done, you know, um, and it's not like, you know, I mean, look at his marriage with Hillary, dude, like you're going to run into his arms and just be like, comfort me, Bill, when Bill is like, uh, can I get it wet or something? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like the most clownish fucking um, 
angle I've ever heard. And this is a continuation of what the mainstream narrative about Epstein has become. Everything bad about that scandal is put on Epstein because Epstein's dead. So we can say whatever we want about him and everyone that's alive. Well, they were just other, you know, they were also uh, victimized by Epstein, uh, but just in other ways, like that's the narrative, official narrative about Leslie Wexner. And now it's becoming the official narrative about Ghislaine Maxwell. I would argue this is to pave the way for what I said when she was arrested last year and people were like, oh, Whitney, blah, blah, blah. yeah, well, she's, it's, they're setting this up because she's going to get like either let off really easily or let off entirely. And so they're just paving a narrative for that. And they're just going to be like, well, she was, you know, uh, manipulated and abused by Epstein too and stuff like that. Too I mean, that's where this is going. They're not going to send a Maxwell to jail. I mean, look at who her father was. Look at what she did for the same intelligence network. Her siblings intimately involved in that same intelligence network. They don't get any coverage like Isabel and Christine, uh, who are obviously the most damaging. And then you have her brother. Um, I think it's Ian or maybe it's the other one. Um, anyway, they're, they like made some... Um, a group to go and promote the real Ghislaine in the media and all this stuff. He's been doing a, a lot of media appearances in the UK, uh, trying to say like, she's being tortured. The prison she's in is like Guantanamo. We don't even have a freaking mugshot, dude. Like, honestly, a lot of people don't even believe she's in prison, uh, to, to be honest, because they didn't arrest her for a year and they knew where she was the whole time. Uh, they claimed to have arrested her in this dramatic SWAT style arrest that turned out didn't actually happen and, and all of this crap. I mean, it's just like, a, it's a clownish narrative. And I would argue the only reason they claim to even have arrested her is because after Epstein died, the story didn't die and get memory hold like they wanted. Uh, and people were like, well, what about Ghislaine? Why is she still on the loose? Why don't you go after her? And so they thought maybe they could memory hole it this way, right? Um, and they're just gonna absolve her and whatever. Uh, and none of these freaking mainstream media, Epstein influencers, whatever, uh, give a, a shit about the victims. And that's very obvious, especially in the case of Vicki Ward. I mean, look what she did to Maria Farmer back in the day and how she's trying to profit off of that story uh, now without admitting uh, the huge, uh, uh, that royal fuck up, you know, I mean, it's just totally outrageous what she did, because obviously Rhea Farmer had to spend decades in hiding after that. Vicki Ward should use some of the proceeds from her uh, Epstein journalism and book deals and whatever to compensate Maria, I would say, but that's not going to happen, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so I haven't been following the trial closely, but I, that's because, you know, as soon as she was arrested, I was like, yeah, it's not, mm, no. And people were like, is she going to be Epstein in prison and all of this stuff? I mean, I don't really see that happening. And given the narrative we've seen rolled out now, I don't see it happening either. The Maxwells are at a different level than Epstein was, okay? They're like a elite intelligence-linked family. Um, Epstein was like a dude, his, his brother in on it to an extent, right? Um, but with real estate stuff, it's different. And, you know, his parents aren't part of like, this elite, whatever, like Robert Maxwell uh, was like, you know, uh, a, very important in those spheres, you know what I mean? So um, it's very different. I think it's a very different situation. Right on, Whitney. Thank you so much. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. this has been such a pleasure, such an honor. Can you uh, tell the folks- Can I ask one more question okay, before ahead. we go here? Yeah, I just, sure, I just, just want to know, you know, um, with knowing all you know, you, you went from Chile to the UK and now you're coming back. I, I feel like you've lived in some pretty oppressed places. Is just kind of a personal question. Why why Chile and why UK? 
Well, so I lived in Chile before the COVID stuff and it was actually pretty like, okay, then, you know, because uh, it's kind of complicated. It, my personal life is just really silly most of the time. Um, but I've lived, I haven't been living in the U.S. for a really long time. I left pretty much as soon as I graduated college. I was, I'm 31, really disillusioned with people my own age. Uh, who were, I was like, don't you see how fucked things are? And they were like, meh, I have TV and beer. I don't care. And, you know, and even in like the punk and metal scenes where you're like, yeah, you know, people are like, oh yeah, well, you know, the government's actually not that bad and stuff, you know, uh, you know that like wasn't for me, but I'm from the South, right? So like maybe on the West coast where, where you guys are, it's like different. I don't know. Yeah. So um, It's pretty excruciating but, here. Yeah. Right. So, so for me, I just was like, yeah, I'm not doing this, you know? And so I went and I, I worked in Peru for a couple of years, um, got a little fed up with Peru because, uh, you know, you're a perpetual tourist there. Uh, even if you live there and make Peruvian money in a Peruvian wage, it's like people are just like, see, well, I, you know, I was living in Cusco, so maybe that's why. Um, <clears throat> which is like a tourist hub. Uh, but then I, I had like a thing happen where I needed to leave my best friend uh, that I worked with. I worked at a restaurant at that point in, in Cusco was Chilean. And he was like, uh, you will like Chile better come with me. And then I went there and ended up staying. And then, you know, uh, I met my kid's dad and had my daughter and, you know, uh, the cost of living is great, mm, you know? And so like when I worked at Mint Press, you know, Mint Press is, is a great outlet, but they couldn't afford to pay me a lot. And there was no way I was ever going to be able to support a kid on that salary. Uh, living in the U.S., kids are expensive, uh, yeah. but in Chile, I could do it, you know? And so that's a main, a big reason why I stayed, you know? Uh, I could rent, uh, like before I left, I was renting a four bedroom house with like this awesome yard. It was like totally beautiful. And it was $400 a month. Oh wow. my God. That's right? amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it was right next to town. Great. You know, uh, obviously with the COVID stuff, Chile, uh, arguably more authoritarian than even Australia, New Zealand, you know, that changed the game. And if I hadn't gotten out now, you can only get out if you're vaccinated with their vaccine. Wow, passport. crazy. Oh, so no, scary. Man. Even if you're a, a resident like I was yeah. a foreign resident and not like a native Chilean, but my daughter's native Chilean. Right. Okay. So because she was born there. So it was, you know, it's complicated. Um, so I ended up going to the UK. Um, for personal reasons, because my boyfriend is from here and thought that it would be easier to do stuff there, but it hasn't really uh, panned out that way. And even if I, you know, to, to, to stay longer term, I have to apply for a visa. And to even do that, I can't be in the UK at the time I apply. So I have to leave anyway. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's complicated. Um, I don't exactly like the idea of having to like hop all over the place, given how the world is and everything that's happening. I mean, it does suck. Um, but, you know, I couldn't, staying in Chile was totally insane because they went way farther than everyone else, way too fast. They've had their domestic vaccine passport uh, since the end of May. And you have to show that to get gas, to get into a supermarket, to go to the bank and to be out of your house for more than four hours a week. So, you know, it's mental. I couldn't even get childcare. Uh, they shut out, they shut down all the, the daycares last March and they still haven't reopened really. Um, I guess in some places they have, but in the region I was living in, it was really extreme. The military were enforcing stuff. Uh, it was either police or military 50-50. Apparently in the capital Santiago where like most of the Chilean population technically lives, um, you know, it was different because they don't want like 
massive riots there, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But where I was living, it's the poorest region of Chile, and it has the largest concentration of indigenous Chileans, the Mapuches, uh, which the Chilean state and them have like conflicts going back a really long time. uh, So they tend to enforce things a lot more brutally. down there and there were cases of like there was a a car a group of people that were out after the covid curfew and uh some group of soldiers to enforce the curfew uh decided to have a little fun and subjected took these people to like a pine stand subjected them to like a fake firing squad execution covered them in gasoline and you know because they were out at the wrong time of night dude i mean that's mental so yeah So, you know, those soldiers got caught and it was like, okay, we had to do something about this with them. But like how many other abuses like that happened? Uh, There was a woman, this was actually in Santiago at a control point, a checkpoint for COVID. And, uh, you know, uh, the police just straight up shot her in the neck. Wow. Yeah, you know, and she wasn't even like fighting them or trying to get away or any of this stuff. They claimed that, but witnesses said that wasn't the case at all. So, you know. Um, it's, it it was a mess and I didn't really, didn't seem like a good place to like, well, I'm glad stay, stay long-term, you know, I'm glad you got Um, out Whitney. Like, like we need you, we need you. So, so you want to just real quick, tell us how the listeners can come support you and come find your work. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the best way to support my work is through, or, or find it right is through my website, unlimitedhangout.com. Even stuff that is published first on other websites, like last American vagabond ends up at some point being republished on my site. Um, uh, but the best way to keep, uh, in tabs on my work, uh, I don't really recommend social media anymore because of the censorship and who knows, well, how long we'll have profiles there and stuff. Um, so you can subscribe to my newsletter, uh, or mailing list really, uh, you can go to unlimitedhangout.com slash newsletter, or, uh, you can hit the subscribe button at the top, um, the top tabs. Um, if you want to support the page, you can click on the support us tab on the unlimited hangout website. Um, and there's different options there uh, to, to support monthly. Um, if you would like, or also just make a one-time donation, whatever you prefer to do. Um, and there's also the option of course, of, uh, of supporting unlimited hangout through Rockfin, R-O-K-F-I-N. And if you support uh, in a monthly way, either through Rockfin or a monthly way through the site, uh, you get early access to uh, my podcast and some other content. Um, that I put out. So perfect. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Whitney, thank you so much. For thank thank you. you so much. Thank you for chatting yeah. with us today and we'll catch you next yeah, time. Yeah, no problem. Right. Thanks. All Great. Right. Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Oh my God. It's, it's too much to even follow sometimes. She just knows <laughs> right. so much. There are like so many names. It can connect it. Like I buy rabbit my hole after rabbit yeah, hole totally. after rabbit hole. It's just great. It's just so great. So now that we have that information on the record now, folks, you can go back and piece it apart. You know, you can sure. listen and pause, go look that piece of information up, listen and pause. Okay. Go read her articles too. The reader articles as well. Like I I think she really detailed. I mean, she gave an overview, but she details all of that stuff very well and cites everything in her articles. Totally. Yeah, that's really the place to go. But um, yeah, what an honor! What a yeah, pleasure! That's awesome. Dude. Bucket list level stuff. Love it. Absolutely. It certainly doesn't leave me with much hope for humanity. Yeah, know? it's so scary, man. Yeah. Like their plans are pretty dark. The only solace I really find is there's no way they can pull off all that shit. Like they, yeah. they're they're when they when they're when you see how many different things they have planned at the same time, it's like. I think they even know they can't pull it all off, but um, it almost maybe it gives a little hope that like it's just so overbearing that maybe it'll just collapse. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe. Maybe. So that's the other thing too is you just you just throw so much at it, and even if like ten percent of it sticks, that'll still help them perpetuate their overall agenda. So right. Well. 
All right, but we're gonna win this thing, folks. We we do <laughs> Just keep keep spreading this. Well, information. and the same thing we always say. I mean, we we know we win in the end. Yep, so true. That's that's yep. the reality. Yeah, keep sharing and this. Realistically, episode. we are. Um, just these Our are hearts just are heavy suits. for other things that we hear about, like in yeah. Chile, like they're yeah, like she's saying, like that's just. I think, wow, I get to go home and like my kids are just like playing in the backyard and out on the road and we're going to go swimming and do all these things. But that's kids our are reality. playing in the road? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> when there's no traffic. Yeah. We yeah. live on a quiet street. Yeah. But, you know, just the, the freedom to do that. We can just yeah, come and totally. go. And as much as we've been locked down and had so much taken from us here, that really puts into perspective and in an alarming way that that's already being rolled out so heavily, rolled out so heavily against uh, poverty-stricken populations, which, of course, we know that's how they work. But... Mm. Um, yeah, it's a lot to take in, and, and I think that that's the importance of um, each one of us speaking up because we need to speak up for other people. Us here in the States, us here in Oregon, and for people globally that don't have the ability, not sitting in front of microphones and able to do this. And so this this is uh, much bigger, as you say all the time, Ed, than all of us. Yeah, yep. and there's never been a more important time for us to, to open our mouths. And that doesn't just mean us. It doesn't mean the Whitney Webbs and the other people with podcasters. That means everyone. Right. We need to open our mouths. We need to tell the people around us. We need to tell our jobs that um, we don't want mandates. That we, we, need, mm-hmm. to, we need to be telling. We need to make make our voices clear because right now they're pushing things through and if they don't know that like we're against this stuff then like you know maybe your job is going to make a mandatory vaccine but if you didn't say anything yeah like if but if you say something you know maybe maybe they'll know like hey actually half our workforce doesn't want this thing Mm -hmm. right yep you know yeah, like Dr. Ely said, like like tough love, like be firm, like it's time to stand in our truth, right? You yeah, stop worrying totally. about what the repercussions are, you know? Like I, I I'm there, I'm there. Because if not, the world she just painted is what yeah. we, what our kids get, which yep. is unacceptable, and I will never let it happen. Yep. Well, and we don't have to know, and that's one of the things that inhibits me sometimes is that I think, well, I don't know everything about this subject, or I don't know all the players on this particular topic, and so sometimes I'm hesitant to engage in conversations with people, but more and more, um, and our friend Cheney has encouraged me in this way too, like you don't have to know every little thing because yeah. all of us sitting at this table and most people listening, we all have discernment and there we're all appendages and internal organs of one bigger piece. And so I don't know all the pieces, but my intuition or the knowledge I have about one little piece of something, it adds seeds to the fire of truth and it and other people can pick up and run with that and so it's important for all of us whatever it is that doesn't sit well whatever it is that isn't right um and what we see that's not right happening to other people in particular we need to speak up about so yeah amen we all have our own gifts in this thing and we just all have our own voices and um never discount your own i mean i think just like the three of us we all have our different things that we like that we all have our areas right where we where we uh bring something to the table right and that's why i've always said like this thing's bigger than us but like the three of us like it takes the three of us to really direct this podcast right Mm -hmm. um so anyways, but Heck yeah, couldn't do without th- you guys. Yeah, for yeah, sure. But helps. I mean, I think that, um, you know, all, all the listeners, man, start, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm telling people that don't want to hear it every day, man, yeah. but I'm yeah. telling the people I love, I will not let them go. That's yeah. it. Uh, and, and the people, there are people that like, you know, I'm don't talk to anymore, but yeah. I'm almost, I, I don't know. I'm kind of almost feeling like a, a little rejuvenation to just like put, put it out there again, even if yeah. they don't want to hear it. Yeah. Like, With not an expectation from them. But I don't give a shit, but like, but yeah. I'm putting the information out yeah. there because you know what? You're getting bombarded with the media's bullshit. Yeah. And, and, and I'm starting to hear people get really emboldened with like the lies yeah. lately and just yeah. really come out and like, cause there's obviously there's the new, um, you know, the new, uh, 
uh, the pandemic, the unvaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people just really attacking, like it's all the unvaccinated's yeah. fault, right? Like it's so and none of us are when, sick. And I'm not going to let that. I'm not going to let that happen. Right? I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that be seated into the people I I love. I'm not going to let that be seated into my all my surroundings. So I have to put my voice out there yeah. to put the opposition because because that's not the truth. And the truth does win in the end. Yep. Well, because if you repeat a lie often enough, it does take on the illusion of truth. Yes. But the yeah. truth always stands alone as the truth at the foundation of everything else. And that always is what will be seen. Yeah. So. 100%. Wow, everybody, awesome. an inc- a crazy, uh, <laughs> informative uh, interview with Whitney Webb. Please go and find her, support her work. Unlimitedhangout.com. There you go. Um, until next time, everybody, I am Megan sitting here with Scott and Ed. We wish all of you intellectual prosperity. Good night. Pew, 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 pew. Ding. Yeah.